All right, let's get back to um, sexual pain. Okay. This was uh, something uh, um, we both wanted to talk to because it's, it's, what did you say, one in six? One in six. Oh, my God. Isn't that nuts? That's nuts. Yeah. So, and I'll tell you also, as in, in private practice, again, not... I mean, we, see, we certainly hear it a lot, but not as much. Not one in six. Mm-hmm. So, so a lot of women are just uh, not discussing yeah, it. Grinning and bearing it. Grinning and bearing. So tell tell me about it. Okay, so most um, sexual pain is penetrative in nature, so that when something is going in, whether it is a penis or a finger or a tongue or a dildo or a whatever, okay, strap on whatever is your thing, um, as it's you just can't, starting. You can't say tongue. I'm going to just, oh. kidding. <laughs> just kidding. As it's just starting to enter, the, that vestibule, that very, very opening of the vagina, um, instead of even if the vestibule is very moist and has tons of lube on it, it feels like burning, horrific, prohibitive pain, bad pain, um, such that you, you just wouldn't want to do that. Right. Now, some people, as we mentioned, they do suck it up. They just say, you know, think about, I don't know. Think about tomorrow. Think about right. in an hour from now when this is over. But at the end of the day, you can only do that for so long, and then you seek care. Now, sometimes they go to providers who don't really understand vestibular dynia, and they've been told they have recurrent. They just have, excuse me, just have a yeast infection or just have a bacterial infection. Yes. Now, infections don't help matters, but they're not usually the sole cause of this kind of an issue, and certainly not when it's present for more than three months, six months, mm-hmm. two years, whatever. So it's really important to find someone who, who knows how to treat vestibulodynia, who needs to identify the inciting event. Remember, I said it could be muscles, it could be infection, right. it could be low hormones, lots right. of other things too, who can identify the inciting event and then treat appropriately. For instance, if I find that it's a muscle disorder, that the patient has very, very taut muscles, then I will refer to um, a partner in her care that is a physical therapist. And this is a special physical therapist that just sees women with pelvic floor disorders. They are women themselves, I'd like to point out. And uh, this is just an amazing, amazing adjunct to the care that I provide, is have the PT work and help her rehab the muscles. We are lucky enough to have um, a couple of female pelvic physical therapists in our area in in the Princeton New Jersey area and I will tell you I send I send them so many patients Mm -hmm. maybe it is one in six you know Mm -hmm. because I have like a little script pad and it just you know I need more I need more all day long all day long Mm -hmm. um but but I will tell you not not Every provider does that. They're ju- they're looking for, I guess, uh, the, the yeast infection or the you know the yeah. simple oh you just you know have some uh, take an antifungal or something yeah or take right. a glass of wine and relax. That right. is not an acceptable answer for sexual pain. Should I'm telling you that, right huh? now. Things mm-hmm. everybody no. think <laughs> things not to say. Yeah. All right. All right. So yeah, go, uh, go ahead. So. So let's say that a patient yes. isn't being treated, so she might be in physical therapy for. Geez, 12 visits, 12 weeks, or maybe up to a year, what depending on what's going therapy? on. What do well, they do? they look first at, at the core stabilizers. They look at to see, they might have a, a woman walk across the room, bend over, touch her toes, et cetera. How does she move? Is there something about her gait or how she holds herself, how her pelvis moves in space? I know that sounds silly, but you know, mm-hmm. um, to see if she has some structural disorder that's causing the pelvic floors, floor muscles to be taut. So they will do core stabilization and even strengthening. It's kind of like having your own personal trainer. Then these women who are phys- physical therapists are 
certified to do internal exams. So they will check through the vagina or through the anus, they'll check the pelvic floor muscles to look for tautness and imbalance. And then they will actually, just like you would have your shoulder rehabbed if you had uh, a problem with shoulder pain, they actually will work on the muscles like to um, elongate them, stretch them, and have them return to basic function again. That's that's great. And um, there are more and more... Uh, you're you're able to find uh, these uh, physical therapists. Yeah, because let me tell you how. How? How? Go to apta.org. That's American Physical Therapy Association.org, and go under the the um, banner of Women's Health Physical Therapists. Put in the zip code that you would like to find a physical therapist in, and they will pop right up. Their name, their phone number, everything. And if you look at their a uh, brief description of their practice, it'll tell you if they're treating pelvic pain or vulvar pain or sexual pain patients. How do you know if they need physical therapy or sex therapy? Well, they could need both. Imagine, for imagine for me, if I you will, imagine, Dr. Yes. Bruce, that you have pain every single time you sit down and you need physical therapy on your glutes or something like that. But if this has happened for months, years, yes. do you think you might have a little bit of post-traumatic stress syndrome? You'd be starting to be afraid to sit down. You'd be eating standing up. You wouldn't go to church because, God forbid, you couldn't sit in the pew. Do, do you know you wouldn't go on picnics if there weren't, you know, if you couldn't walk around? So, you know what? Sex therapy truly helps quite a bit. And so some physical therapy um, is accomplished and it completely helps the patient. But sometimes they need both sex therapy and physical therapy, to be honest with you. Do you do those? That you, makes sense? It makes perfect sense. Yeah. You need uh, the, the brain and the, and the buttock. Yep. Right. The brain and the body. Oh, yeah. Has yeah. to work together. Exactly. Yeah. So do you do that? Do you do? I do. I do. Mm-hmm. Um, many uh, sex med uh, clinicians are trained as sexuality counselors and therapists, and they've gone to extensive training to do that, not just decided they were good at talking to people, um, because they, they probably are, but right. they you have to get some training for that. Otherwise, before I was completely trained myself, I and I still do, I refer, because I have patients from all over, so I refer to sex therapists. Yes, I do. Absolutely. Good. That's great. So I think... Um for now let's say patient goes to the physical therapy mm-hmm. for the sexual pain the vulvodynia vestibulitis yeah those are those are vestibulodynia vestibulodynia mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's the new terminology no more vestibulitis correct okay good <clears throat> good to know so and they they go through the physical therapy and it helps a little bit i mean mm-hmm. they you know maybe it helped 50 percent mm-hmm. But they still have that residual 50%. Mm-hmm. Then mm-hmm. then what do you do? Well, if in fact they still have hypertonus or that, remember that spasm we talked about in the pelvic floor, there is um, a large body of literature that's being accumulated to suggest that they would benefit from Botox. Yes, Botox to the pelvic floor muscles. Really? To relax the pelvic floor muscles. It's delivered via injection and one has to be very well trained to do it appropriately. But the truth is, it is not as ghastly as one would think. It's very small injections, very easily delivered because it's quite superficial, generally speaking. And it is, I will tell you, I've been at this for also 22 or three years, just like you. This is one of the biggest game changers in my practice in all of this time is the ability to really help the physical therapist by relaxing the muscles completely. And when did that start, the Botox? Uh... Well, actually, there's a multi-center trial going on right now because the, the other thing I wanted to tell you is that Botox is not FDA-approved for this indication. So patients have to incur some expense, unfortunately, because it's not covered by their insurance for this um, indication. 
Having said that, that the 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 thought that Botox would help the pelvic floor muscles um, really is in the probably the last 10 years or so that people have been working with it and really finding that it's pretty amazing. If you think about other conditions for a minute, like cerebral palsy or other spastic conditions, putting Botox in a muscle is not new, and it is not new as a reliever of a symptom complex. It just was new-ish to try to think about putting it in the pelvic floor. So I assume you have to be trained in this, yep. and uh, so you can't yeah. just go to your primary care doctor to, to get some... Uh, vestibular Botox. Yes. You should go to a, a specialist, trained, et yeah. cetera, et cetera. And it's pelvic floor Botox, yeah. Pelvic mm-hmm. floor Botox. That's mm-hmm. great. Uh, okay. Um, so does that help? I mean, it's amazing to start to think about all this stuff, isn't it? That there are so many ways to help these women when they, for many years, have found that there is nothing. And it's not them. out there. I'll tell you, it in in our literature, that's not there. So it. Uh, you know, I, I learned something today, and, and this is an area where I, th- I, th- I, th- I thought I had a, uh, a grasp on, you know, like you know, a good, uh, a good knowledge base. But that's why you're the star. You're teaching me good. something new, which I love. I'm going to tell you one more thing. Speaking of evidence, now it might not be always in the mainstream literature. It might always not always be in the mainstream literature um, of the Green Journal, which is your primary journal. Correct. But I will tell you that um, we on your way out and on your way in, I'm going to show you something called the Wall of Evidence. And so we have evidence on our wall in the form of medical papers and abstracts for every single thing we do in this clinic. That's, wow, that's great. Yeah. So yeah, you, know, you mentioned the FDA, uh, but even. In not, in not this area, um, we do things in medicine, especially in OB, uh, that are not so quote-unquote FDA approved mm-hmm. for that purpose, mm-hmm. uh, but we know it works because we have ev- we mm-hmm. do have evidence. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, you know, there, there's, you know, induction agents that we use that are not FDA approved, but mm-hmm. we do use it every day. Mm-hmm. So I, I think I don't want people to get scared that, oh, I'm not using an FDA approved uh, treatment. But as long as there's, it is known to be done and it, there's evidence to support it, that it's okay. Right. And as I long as, but make sure you, who you go to is, 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 a, is a legit trained professional, right. not somebody who, you know, who just uh, you know, hung a shingle out. You know, and I encourage patients, if they're leery, to do some of their own research and look up things because the internet, my goodness, it's such a wealth of knowledge. But also ask your provider if they can help you, direct you to some literature that they can read. Because everyone, I mean, people are smart, really smart. They can understand medical uh, literature. They really can. So just ask to see an abstract and read about it. All right. So my my other questions are um, sex after menopause. Mm -hmm. So this is something... You know, as I grow uh, older with my patients, Mm -hmm. you know, my patients and I (laughs) are entering Mm -hmm. menopause. Mm -hmm. So I get a lot of... uh, You have uh, menopause. I have menopause. Yeah. Uh, So um, a lot of questions I get are, uh, you know, everything was fine, but now after menopause, sex hurts, uh, Mm -hmm. I have dryness. Uh, What do I do? So it's not always just dryness. Let's start with this because... um, GSM stands for genitourinary syndrome of menopause, and it's the new name 
for vulvovaginal atrophy. You know, if you think about something that's atrophic, it's sort of dead. You would never want to tell a patient your vagina is dead. But no. they might feel like it because, honest to goodness, the estrogen, the lack of estrogen and the declining testosterone that's germane to menopause um, really can cause thinning of the tissues. It can cause dryness in the tissues. It can cause cracking and bleeding of the tissues. It can cause lack of responsiveness in the tissues. Um, and if it gets really severe, it can cause vestibulodynia, which is that really chronic, horrible burning pain with penetration. So um, not anything to be taken lightly. Uh, there are so, so many options for women after menopause to use locally uh, in the vagina and on the vestibule to help their their um, symptoms. So let's start with some, shall we? Yes, tell All me. All right. So there is a product. I mean, there's certain, okay, forever and ever and ever, I mean, at least as long as I've been alive, there's been estrogen creams, right. uh, that creams that can be applied just a small amount in the vagina twice a week to start to change that dry chafed tissue and make it more moist and stretchy. Um, so that's, that's an option right there, vaginal creams. There's also um, vaginal tablets that can go in. They look like little birth control pills, but they're not, they're not birth control. They go in the vagina, and they're also made of estrogen along that same line. We have some new kids on the block. We've got vaginal um, little, almost like a gel cap, do you know? Like a, and it goes inside, and the gel cap opens, and the gel has estrogen in it, but only very, very small amount. And that particular gel cap comes in two doses. One is the lowest dose that's ever, ever been developed in the history of estrogen supplementation. That's four micrograms twice wow. a week. And then the the big sister of that product has 10 micrograms, which is very much akin to the other things I've been talking about. Okay. Another new kit on the block is an intravaginal insert that's made of something called prasterone. That's DHEA, a right. precursor, a chemical precursor to both estrogen and androgen or testosterone. But it's neither estrogen nor androgen. It lets your body make the androgen and the estrogen from the precursor product. So, and that's intrarosa. That's intrarosa, and that has that really has no black box warning or box warning like a lot of the estrogens do. It doesn't have that, and so that makes it pretty revolutionary. That's great. One more thing One, I'll talk yes, about, yes, yeah. and that's an oral pill, actually. It's called a CIRM. It stands for Selective Estrogen Receptor Modulator. And it, this oral pill binds to estrogen receptors, but it is not an estrogen. Be clear about that. When it binds to estrogen receptors in the genitals, it causes estrogen-like effects in the tissue, so that moist, lovely, stretchy, pink skin, but it's not an estrogen at all. It's taken orally every day, and many women really appreciate that if they are thinking they don't want any estrogen at all. What's the brand name of that? So the name of that pill is Osfina or Ospemaphine, and that has been around for a few years. It was actually one of the very first FDA-approved drugs specifically for dyspareunia, and that's the medical word for painful intercourse. Okay, great. All right, let's talk about uh, uh, sex after breast cancer. Yeah, let's. Um, so this is a very common occurrence. Some studies suggest up to 90% of breast cancer survivors have pain with sex mm -hmm. or changes in their sexual response. Um, just really, it's bad enough to have had breast cancer. It's wonderful to be a breast cancer survivor, but not if your sexual life has been uh, irreparably harmed. So it's important for survivors to educate themselves and to, to really kind of push past the, um, you know, you can't have estrogen of any sort. You had estrogen response, 
responsive or positive breast cancer and just be glad you're alive. That's not an okay answer. The okay answer is first, and this is by our, our um, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, North American Menopause Society, and the Society of uh, Clinical Oncologists. So here we go. It is really important first to start when sexual play restarts after the cancer experience to start with really good moisturizers and lubricants. Do you know the difference? No, I don't. Okay, so lubricants are used just at the time of play. They're applied to both partners, by the way, not just one ever, always to both partners. Right. Um, and they can be made of water-based um, solution, or which is the most common the things that we buy at CVS and Walgreens, things right. like that. There are actually oil-based um, lubricants, which are, stay a little bit longer, and they're often in your kitchen. Oh, by the way, think coconut oil. Um, and then there can be um, silicone-based, and silicone-based lubricants stay longer. They're thicker, and they are particularly good for very sensitive tissues and or for prolonged play, if you think of it that way. So... They don't I, have to be I, reapplied so often. I often recommend the coconut oil. Mm-hmm. So, so which are those? So, those lubricants or are those moisturizers? Those are all lubricants. Those are all lubricants. So, yeah. what's a moisturizer? So, a moisturizer is a very different product. It's a product that is actually bioadhesive. It sticks to the tissue. It doesn't just wash right off, do you know? Right. It's used inside the vagina. It sticks to the tissue and it stays around for usually two or three days at a pop. So, it's really, really moisturizing. Just like if you think about moisturizing your face, do you know, it goes into the tissue. It doesn't sit just on top of your skin, it goes into the tissue. That's what a moisturizer does. And so they can be used in concert with lubricants, which are used just at the time of a sexual event. But moisturizers are you're good all day, every day, because they're, they stick around, like I said. Those come also in um, cream form and water-based form, but most of them um, are, uh, are marketed as moisturizers. I want to name one that's kind of a newer kid on the block, too, if you don't mind. Yeah, we, um, we, we're... we're we're not sponsored. We just talked about. It. We're not sponsored by any company, so we. No, can, we, we're so, not. But, but if they, you know what? But if they want to reach out. <laughs> <we're>, <laughs> there I'm, you go. I'm available. There you go. So I can, we can we can say names. So a newer kit on the block is something called Reverie. Um, Reverie is available online, not in at your Walgreens or CVS, but it's uh, over the counter. It's um, and it is highly uranic acid based suppository. Now, HLA or hyaluronic acid is a big deal these days. We put it in, in beauty products because you know what it does? It attracts moisture, uh-huh. lots of it, to wherever it's placed. Well, a little suppository in the vagina attracts a thousand times its weight in water. So that's water from systemic circulation of a woman's own body. So it makes her vagina very, very moist with her own water from wow. her body. So it's very popular. And that particular, any product that has hyaluronic acid is going to be a... Um, more effective often than other just like a a, um, a a gentle moisturizer i don't know how else to say that but right, something right. that has actually less action so hyaluronic acid uh of some sort and then a lubricant for sex is a really great combination after breast cancer but if that is not enough there's a couple things that should be considered number one has the pain associated with sex caused the woman to have high tone pelvic floor muscle dysfunction? Mm-hmm, because right. remember, she is hormone depleted, one right. of the causes, right? So look for vestibulodynia for her. Make sure she doesn't need pelvic floor PT. Um, and in addition, if one wishes to familiarize themselves with the new guidelines by the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, they will see that when moisturizers, lubricants, conservative measures fail, rather than leave a woman hopelessly having pain or not giving up sex altogether it's important to talk to her about something called let or local estrogen therapy that's some of the things that we just talked about 
um, with the creams and right. the pills and things like that. But it is really an individualized choice that one makes in concert with one's female healthcare provider, oneself and partner, and one's oncologist. And right. so it is very important that that's done properly. And it's not beyond me, and I'm sure you too, to hop on the phone with an oncologist and say, hey, I've got a woman here that's really tried everything, and we're, we're at a stalemate. I want to help her quality of life, so we, I'd like you to approve this. Yeah, I have uh, a number of patients um, with this issue, and uh, I always you know, speak to the oncologist because, you know, really you have to all the health team has to be on the same page. Mm-hmm. And, and honestly, just I hope I, like I always cross my fingers, I hope I have one who's really up on the literature mm-hmm. and knows that it's okay and, mm-hmm. and, and you can do this and it's acceptable. So, and it does work. So, yeah. and, uh, and of course, everything's, you know, anecdotal. I had a whole thing on vaccines about anecdotal evidence, <laughs> but uh, it's, but my patients who are breast cancer survivors and have needed estrogen, local estrogen therapy, mm-hmm. have done well and, and no, have no issues, and they're very happy. And there's plenty of literature. The studies are small, but there's lots of them that show after initiation of local, low-dose local estrogen therapy that there is no greater incidence of recurrence of breast cancer than those women who do not use local estrogen therapy. Correct. So. All right. So let's talk about childbirth. Okay, let's. Um, does it does it damage your pelvis irreparably? <laughs> <laughs> well, that sort of depends on the type of delivery. Um, but the the quick answer is no. It doesn't. Um, But it feels like it does for some people. If they've had a very uh, prolonged pushing, you know, when a woman's pushing and pushing and pushing the baby out, if it's very prolonged, or if there's a lot of tearing, like a tear into the rectum, for instance, that's not so comfortable. And if there was um, an operative delivery, a use of forceps or vacuum. Now, well, bear in mind, those none of those things are done lightly, and they're done to get a healthy baby out in the world now. So there is no reason for blaming but when those do occur i'm i'm on point i am like on the bat phone for the obstetrician gynecologist because they're like okay check her pelvic floor make sure that we get her in pt quickly and let's get her rehabbed fast because the pelvic floors take a little bit more um stress when those instances occur so that's the first thing i want to say but i will tell you that um although most people don't resume sexual play at six weeks that's a wiver husband's tales or some kind of tales. I don't right. know, from the yesteryear. <laughs> Most people do resume comfortable sex by about three months, maybe nine on the outside. If a woman's past that time and is still having a great deal of problems, she needs to see, if she hasn't already, a physical therapist and a sex med specialist because we can help her. I, I heard or read in Europe, as soon as childbirth is done, uh, women get started with the uh, pelvic floor physical therapy. They do. Actually, in France, the government pays for physical therapy after a baby. Isn't that amazing? Do you think that Donald Trump might do that for us? I'm yeah, not yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I, heard, I heard he was, th- it was yeah. strongly considering it. Yeah. Yes. yeah. That was tongue-in-cheek, by the way. <laughs> but it would be great, if, if, we, it'd be great if, we got on, if we got on board with that, you know, and maybe as we see more, um, you know, leaders in our in our right. in our. House of Representatives and Congress and stuff that are women themselves. Maybe we'll see that a little bit more. You never know. You, you never know. And in the meantime, what we could do now is if we do have a local pelvic floor physical therapy uh, that we that we know, 
you know, send send your patients uh, very quickly after mm-hmm. uh, delivery, and uh, so they can get started. So mm-hmm. you know, until there's uh, some formal mechanism, we could uh, we could do that now. Right. And the other thing is, remember, especially if the woman is breastfeeding, that she is going to have lower estrogen uh, hormones because of the effect of lactation on suppressing of the period. But just remember that she might be inordinately dry also. So think of things like moisturizers and lubricants for her. And in severe cases, she might need a local estrogen therapy as well. Yeah, breastfeeding um, raises your progesterone but lowers your estrogen Significantly. Prolactin, particularly. Prolactin. Yeah, yeah, yeah particularly. Right, yeah. right. All right. All right, Dr. Kellogg, What is there any other things you wanted to stress or mention? Yeah, there's one more thing. Tell me about it. One more thing, and that's, you know, we talked a lot about penetrative dyspareunia, you know, pain at the opening of the vagina. That is the most common, clearly, clearly. However, there's another thing, as if that's not enough, uh, called deep dyspareunia. Another one? Uh, yes. Yeah, and that's where penetration's really comfy, but the deep thrusting, if you, and again, it doesn't have to be a penis, it could be a dildo strap on, whatever one is being thrusted with. Um, that's where the pain is at the very end of the vagina or just above the vagina. So things that cause that, bladder disorders, mm-hmm. um, interstitial cystitis, bladder pain syndrome can cause that, endometriosis, is, I'm sure you've heard of that. Um, I've heard of it once before. Yeah, uh, that can really, wow, it just hurts so much for people. Sometimes um, IBS-type uh, bowel disorders can cause um, thrust dyspareunia. So when we look at, and, and also rarely, but things like fibroids and tumors right. in the uterus. So when we look at dyspareunia from a thrusting perspective we also look at PT but it's different muscles it's the ones further back in the pelvic floor that need to be rehabbed Um, there is a uh, I got to do another plug today for an amazing amazing product it's called the O-Nut O-H-N-U-T the O-Nut is a series of stackable rings that's actually placed on the penetrating partner to uh, take up some space so that the the Penetration, if you will, is only partial, like just the tip of a penis, the tip of a dildo, etc. But the partner feels as though he or she is completely inside because they have these very comfortable rings on their penis. This was developed by a woman who was an endometriosis sufferer her whole life, had never had comfortable intercourse at the age of 27. And she developed this product with a designer, an industrial designer, and it is a wonderful. There was a place in the market for this, and she has filled it quite quite well. So that's the O-Nut. Um, just for people that have it, deep the dyspareunia, they should try that. Um, it's available on the, over the counter. And then last but not least, there's another new-ish drug called Orlissa. And Orlissa is a drug for endometriosis suppression. And they specifically have an indication for endometriosis-related dyspareunia, which is painful sex. That's a big jump in uh, pharmaceuticals because there have, been, there have been drugs for endometriosis in the past, but not with specifically with the dyspareunia indication. So one more we talked about a bunch of new drugs today, FDA approved for women so they can have good sex. We have finally arrived at a time when women's sexuality is important. And I, for one, am very glad about that. Me too. Me too. Uh, I, I look at these things. When I first started these podcasts, I mean, I guess I, I didn't have a, you know, I'm a male OBGYN. So, I mean, I guess I, I'm not, a, I don't think about these things. But then I saw something on, I don't know if it was Twitter or Facebook, but yeah. but that that uh, a lot of female sexual and just female health 
panels are all men. Mm-hmm. And, exactly. and I think this is person online who just, every time she sees that, she like say, congratulations on your all male panel. <laughs> so I thought it was, and, and she and also, somebody else called it a manal instead of, so, oh, okay. a man, so, a so, so you, you could use these by the way. But, uh, so I said, you know, I, I think I need, uh, a female a counterpart to discuss women's health with me, not just a, another man or a mantle. So no, uh, that's, that's intriguing because women do notice that. Imagine if you went to a panel on prostate cancer, which, by the way, I know a lot about too, but right. and it was all women. And, and they were talking about um, the devastating of hormone deprivation therapy or something for me. I mean, you think, wait a minute, come on now. <laughs> right, you right. really know this? <laughs> I mean, I get that you can treat things that you don't have or experience, but by the same token, there is an insight that comes from being a woman that is pretty intense. It's really good. I agree. And plus, on the on, on, uh, to answer your question, I would be comfortable with the all-female prostate okay. uh, panel. I'm all right. F- I'm fine with that. All right. All right. <laughs> That's just me. Good deal. That's Good deal. Uh, okay. Um, any other? This is great, by the way. Um, no, I would say maybe to be continued. You know, yeah. I think at this point, let's see what our listeners want to hear. And maybe we'll be back someday. Absolutely. Okay. So Dr. Kellogg, Dr. Susan Kellogg-Spot, and we're... Um, or Pennsylvania. We're at the Center of Pelvic Medicine in Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania, and I appreciate you very much. And we will we should we we need to have another episode. My pleasure. Thanks, Thank everybody. You. All right, everybody, uh, take care.